The Carolina football class of 2023, the Jordan class, it was pretty slim pickings, just quarterback Tad Hudson up until just recently. Now, it's gone up to six commitments, including three in just the past 10 days. Who are those guys? Uh, we're talking about them on today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thursday, June 16th, 2022. Welcome to the Locked on Tar Heels podcast. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank all of you for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen or your first watch every single stinking day. Please don't forget that we are free and available anywhere you get podcasts, so check it out. And please, while you're there, go ahead and subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, smash that like button and leave a comment about any of these dudes we're talking about today. All right, let's get right into it with John Garcia Jr. talking about Carolina's three most recent football commits. Boy, oh boy, it's great to be joined as always uh, by John Garcia Jr., Sports Illustrated's Director of Football Recruiting, and man, just provides such great insight for us, and it's an exciting day because Carolina has doubled their 2023 recruiting class in the last 10 days, which is bonkers, but hey, that's June and that's what we do, and so we're going to dive right into that on the defensive side of the ball, talking about linebacker Caleb Lavallee. Yeah, this is a great prospect. I mean, uh, a kid who's later of a riser, later of an arrival, I should say, <laughs> onto the recruiting scene. Uh, not not at a big time program where, as a freshman or a sophomore, you see him picking up tons of scholarship offers. It came later in his career, uh, so so he definitely earned it. You know, this is a kid who plays both ways, uh, which I love. It's something I've talked about for a long time. If, yeah. if you're a linebacker. I want to see some running back clips, and we get a lot of that uh, with Caleb. So that's yeah. certainly a great starting point. I think he's got some classic traits, but I also think he's got some modern traits as well. You know, I think, uh, you know, from, from a floor perspective, he can be a chase and tackle guy, a, a volume tackler. He had over 100 tackles in nine games last year. So obviously uh, there's, there's instincts to find the football, and, and he can finish. You know, this kid plays with great leverage when he arrives uh, to the ball carrier uh, and he can obviously run well, you know, when you, when you make that many tackles, you, you can run <laughs> sideline to sideline. Yeah. So I think that box is checked pretty good, but then there's some modern in his game as well, where hmm. he is so comfortable in space uh, and in coverage, which is not something that you typically associate with a guy who racks up so many tackles. Usually he's kind of geared towards working down towards right. the line of scrimmage, right. but there's a lot of samples uh, where Caleb drops back, uh, and is, is really patient in pass coverage and makes up some ground in a hurry to make plays on the football and or the intended target. So I think there's some balance with this kid, which is wow. not something I expected to see when I saw his stats and how many <laughs> tackles he made. Yeah. I thought this was going to be an old school downhill linebacker, which is great. You still need that in today's game. But I was kind of automatically curious, okay, am I going to get some running back? And am, am I going to get some coverage? And and I got all of that uh, on tape. So I think he's a guy at, who's physically, you know, ready for the ACC at 6'2", 225, 230 or so. So I think he's, he's going to be a guy who 
maybe the ceiling isn't sky high relative to what we already see, but what we already see is pretty darn good. And I think that's going to get them on the field relatively early in Carolina. Man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you talk about this kind of fusion he has of classic downhill linebacker and the modern coverage linebacker. Is that something we're starting to see more of, or is that he's still kind of a, a, a unicorn, if you will? Yeah, I think, Kids, kids are smart. I mean, they, they pay attention to the NFL, obviously college football, because that's where they're, you know, theoretically applying to, to play at uh, at the next level. And they see these three down linebackers. You know, they see these guys who do something different almost on every snap. So if, if it's one of those things where you got to be self-aware, you know, do I have this in my arsenal or, or don't I? And if I don't, how can I get it? How can I at least move towards that point? Uh, so I do think we see a lot more, linebackers trying to develop that secondary trait, whether it's um, as a pass rusher or as a cover guy, or in some cases, both. And I think with, with Caleb, we see uh, great coverage, but we see a lot of well-timed blitzes as well, which goes back to his, his instincts, uh, kind of the football IQ aspect of timing and anticipation uh, that, that comes really with every position on the football field. So we see a, a, a little bit of everything with him. And I think that's something that, again, a, a lot of, linebackers are trying to work up towards because you can't just be one dimensional anymore at the position. Cause on third down, they're going to take you out for a defensive back every time. That's right. So, uh, John, you talked about, um, Caleb being a guy that's kind of burst onto the scene coming from a, a small school, uh, there in Mableton, Georgia, uh, yes. real close to six flags. You ever been to six flags over Georgia, John? I actually celebrated a birthday there. Probably. I don't want to age myself, but at least 10 <laughs> years ago. So, yes, man, uh, it was well, not bad. No, I love, man, I grew up going there. I grew up on the south side of Atlanta, and so that's my people, man. I, lo I love it. Um, so, anyway, g g going to this small school in Georgia, and now uh, Lavallee, you know, I think he had something close to 30 offers. What What is it that all of a sudden causes him to burst onto the scene? I think people just buy in, and they, you know, mm -hmm. overlook the competition because, you know, to me – you know, good football, a good football player is a good player, regardless of who he's playing against. You know, nobody discredited Derrick Henry for playing 1A football in Florida, you know, when he was breaking all those records in high school. So yeah. I think when you do see a kid who's playing considerably lower competition than what he's going to face in college, you just need to check an extra box or two. It, it needs mm -hmm. to be more consistent of a flash as opposed to once every few plays or 10, 10 plays that you're like, oh, there he is. Like he needs to plant his flag very easily when he plays lesser competition. Uh, and I think Caleb does that. At, I mean, his running back clips, Isaac, I mean, he, he looks like he's a college player playing against little leaguers at times where he's just <laughs> able to kind of run through uh, tacklers. Um, you almost get the sense that they know he's really good at running back, but they need him so badly on defense that they, maybe hold him back a little bit on offense just to yeah. give him a, a couple extra breaths of fresh air because when he runs the football, it is incredibly effective downhill and, and he, he can run as well in, in the open field. So I do think we see the dominance that we would have hoped for when you look at a prospect going to the power five from a smaller school uh, in the state of Georgia. So I, I yeah. think Caleb, you know, has, has more than validated, you know, his play style. And I think as, as his 2021 tape got out and other schools went to see him physically in the spring in person, you know, a lot of these schools were like, okay, like this, we've seen enough, let's <laughs> jump in with an offer and let's go get him. And yeah. that's why he had yeah. this 
really nice ascent over the last six plus months. And, and it culminated with that verbal commitment, which is a nice win for UNC. Like you said, a lot of schools jumped in that race. Yeah, absolutely. He he is the first linebacker commit for the Tar Heels in the class of 23. And as you talked about, John, it's so neat, uh, this, this two-way player nature of him and two uh, roles on both sides of the ball that provide some great things in terms of vision. Like you think about the, the vision that he develops looking at gaps as a running back. How is that going to help him um, get inside the mind of a running back when he's the one attacking those same gaps? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just another data point. It's just another place where he is ahead of the game. Um, and I think, again, when you th- those are more things you want to see when you look at a prospect from either a rural area or an area that doesn't have elite competition you want to see them doing a little bit more and having a true, you know, major play-by-play impact. And I think we see that a lot with Caleb. But when it comes to translating to linebacker, of course, that running back experience is is going to help. And, and some of those snaps are direct snaps. Uh, so he has it from really multiple perspectives wow, in the man. backfield, not just as as the offset back or a guy who's, who's flanking a quarterback in the backfield. He's got direct snaps on that resume as well. So I, I think, you know, visually instinctively i think he's he's going to be pretty darn ready uh to play big time college football so we'll see athletically how he stacks up you know as a senior and once he actually gets to carolina but you know i I think this kid has a high floor i think he's one that again with all the tools combining is one we probably see pretty soon uh you know suiting up for for meaningful plays love that well, here in just a second, we got another kid from Georgia to talk about, another kid named Caleb to talk about, and I got a pop quiz for you, John. All oh, that no. coming up in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit about Built Bar. You know how our friends at Built Bar are always coming out with amazing new flavors, and this time they have really outdone themselves with the new mud pie flavor. And for the first time ever, Built is in introducing this mud pie flavor, not just in a bar, but also the puff. You can get it in either one. If you watched last, uh, uh, take two. You know how our friends at Built Bar are always coming out with amazing new flavors? Well, this time they have truly outdone themselves because they've come out with their new mud pie flavor and for the first time have done so both in the bar and the puff. If you watched yesterday's show, you saw me dig in and eat the bar, and it is fantastic. Not sure what a mud pie is or tastes like? Yeah, that's fine. Well, let me tell you. The new mud pie bar is rich whipped cream and chocolate mousse smothered in 100% real chocolate, and it's topped with little cookies and cream crumble. You gotta try it as soon as possible, and you gotta hurry, because the mud pie bar and mud pie puff are only available for a limited time. So visit Built.com to taste the deliciousness for yourself. Not convinced yet? Well, good news because it's actually good for you too. All Built products are low calorie, high protein, and low sugar. The mud pie is packed with 16 grams of protein, just 150 calories, and only 8 grams of sugar. It's like your mom baked this most deliciously creamy chocolate mud pie, wrapped it up just for you into a Built Bar. What's great is that all of Built's products come with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. So eat something that both tastes good and is good for you. You're going to love the new Mud Pie Built Bar and Built Puff. Whether you need a snack for your workout, a late night treat like I did last night, or you just need to grab a quick bite, Built is the perfect protein bar for you. 
chocolate mousse, whipped cream, cookies and cream crumble. Stop drooling and get to Built.com right now to get your box of mud pie bars or puffs. You're not going to regret it. And while you're there, use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Here on Locked on Tar Heels today, we are discussing Carolina's most three recent football recruits. Two kids named Caleb. We've already talked about one of them. Let's get into the second. And John, as we talk about him, this is Mr. Caleb Cost, who just committed to Carolina on June 11th this past weekend. He is from Sandy Creek High School on the south side of Atlanta in Georgia. We grew up, I grew up playing Sandy Creek High School. And w- here's my, my pop quiz for you. You ready? I'm ready. One of the greatest wide receivers in NFL history is also from Sandy Creek High School. Who on earth is it? Do, do I get a secondary hint? Is this a guy who played in uh, like black and white television or? Okay. Uh, no. Uh, secondary hint is that it is within the past oh, decade or so. And he played his college ball in the Atlanta area. Okay, yeah, I was I was leaning towards him. It's it's got to be Calvin Johnson, hundred Calvin Megatron. Johnson, Megatron, baby, way to go! Yes, what a just absolute beast he! Oh, oh my, my word! Yes, it was scary in high school, and I'm sure it was just as scary for NFL D backs. So that's good. And Caleb Cost would have been one of those. He is a defensive back. Let's get into this dude, a two sports star. Yeah, I'm going to play football and baseball at Carolina, which is always intriguing. You expect certain things when you see baseball on the resume, and, and <laughs> those translate. You know, I, I think we we talk about track and basketball as easy translators to football, yeah. but you can really make the argument in, in other sports as well. And I think with baseball, it immediately goes to you know lower body physicality and hand-eye coordination. Those pop mm. off immediately when you watch this kid on tape as well, extremely fluid in his lower half, which you want in a defensive back. I think cost can play corner or nickel uh, Mm. in the ACC, which is really valuable at the next level. Uh, And man, his ball tracking ability is really smooth. (laughs) You know, he's a guy who not only, you know, creates turnovers and has, you know, a bunch of interceptions on the resume. He's a big return guy in the, in the punt and kick game for Sandy Creek. So it tells you a little bit more about not only his competitiveness, but those ball tracking skills uh, and the overall athleticism and, and honestly speed that comes with it that makes him an intriguing football and baseball player. Uh, so I, I love the polish that he plays with. Um, the, the hip fluidity really stands out on tape. He's a kid who's playing sophisticated schemes in mm-hmm. high school. We see him operating you know, man turns and zone turns. So basically – Relative to the coverage, you're going to turn a certain way uh, when the receiver, you know, breaks off his route. Uh, we see samples of that littered throughout his tape. Uh, I mentioned the ball skills and ability to play the football itself. And, and he's got some wheels, too. You know, so I think this is a pretty complete cornerback. Uh, not the biggest guy in the world, 5'10", 5'11", yeah. or so, 180 pounds. Uh, but he packs a punch uh, in that diminutive size. Uh, and he really brings a lot uh, to, to the space game. Comfortable when the ball's in the air, which is a really imperative trait for a defensive back because it's a pass-first game right now in college. I think everybody understands that. So I'm not going to get into a baseball uh, scouting rundown, <laughs> although I am Dominican and Cuban. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I have that knowledge besides the bloodline there. So I, I'm sure he's not terrible on the diamond either. 
I would imagine not. And the Tar Heels just getting knocked out in the Super Regional this past right. weekend by Arkansas, unfortunately. Um, and and this won't force you to get into the baseball of it, but but I do want to ask, how insanely difficult is it for a young man or woman to play two sports in college at the, as particularly at this D1 level? Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. You know, I played football at a low level, and it was a full time job. It was you know morning workouts, class back to, to the facility for some film and then more class and then back to the facility for practice. And then you're there until dinner. So it, it's really tough to imagine doubling up in that regard, because of course, when you're in the off season in one sport, you, you slow it down a little bit, or you focus on getting healthy, maybe getting stronger in a certain area because you don't have games coming up. But when you're a two sport player, you've got that coming up 12 months a year, it feels like. So right when football ends, you're back in the batting cages and, and costs uh, perspective here. You're back in the batting cage. You're, you're trying to get healthy after a long ACC season. And then here you are, <laughs> you know, you know, taking BP from yeah. all ACC pitchers. So it, it is certainly something that I can't quite quantify, uh, but I can imagine that, you know, doing it at the high school level certainly helps out. Uh, and sure. I would guarantee you that Caleb, is is a 12 month a year sports guy i mean i, I bet he played even more sports as as a young you know, adult so it is it is grueling uh but it's certainly rare uh to see a kid you know who can jump in on two sports not only to be good enough in both but to actually take that on uh at the next level is it's just not something we see every day so i think it's yeah. it's quite special and and always interesting to see how, which schools are for lack of a better phrase, cool with it. You know, some you know, everyone <laughs> yeah. says they are, but when you get on campus and you start to play, a lot of those schools start to change their mind. So I, I know UNC's, you know, had two sport players well, forever, right? Ronald Curry is the first one that popped yep. in my brain. Uh, Julius Peppers. Peppers, hello. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> another one that, that is a no-brainer there. So, yeah, we've seen it in the past at UNC, so it will certainly be interesting to compare him you know, years down the line to, to some of those guys. Yeah, for sure. And and that's a great segue, John. Way to go. You didn't even know you were taking me to the next place I wanted to go. But my question is, when when that inevitable overlap happens, is it is it a matter of football is the bigger entity and so it takes precedence? Or is it more of like, hey, this student athlete's better sport is football, so football takes precedence? Or maybe with cost, it's his better sport is baseball, so baseball. Like, how do, how do we make those decisions? Is that just up to the, the conversations between the student athlete and Coach Mac Brown and Coach Scott Forbes? How, how do we go about that? Yeah, I think the latter point makes the most sense. This is almost a negotiation. You know, we see it a lot in football when there's a two-way player and one the offensive coach wants him at receiver. The defensive <laughs> coach is like, no, he's a DB all the way. I need him. You know, we see it more in that regard, but I think it, it overlaps with other sports as well. I think it will be sort of a gentleman's agreement here relative to, to how he is when he gets to campus and how each roster looks by the time he arrives uh, in 2023, which is – it doesn't feel like it's that far away, but there's still you know, a, a long ways to go to that point. There's an entire you know season of football in between right. uh, now and then, so th a lot can change. Is, is my point there? So I do think you know how he is when he first gets to UNC um, and how he develops soon thereafter will be kind of a, a negotiating and, and probably fluid uh, type situation because it does overlap as you mentioned. So maybe if it's a situation where UNC is in the ACC title game. 
it's it's a little bit more understandable where hey this is it's about football right now sure but if it's maybe a a six and six kind of average season and it's just a you know a crappy bowl game for lack of a better phrase (laughs) then maybe it's like hey let's let's get going with baseball at this point and and kind of take a step forward but it'll be fascinating and i think it'll come down to well first and foremost caleb but then from thereafter the the two head coaches you mentioned Very good. Well, man, it's been great talking about the defensive side of the ball in the state of Georgia. We're going to go wheels up, head up to Virginia, flip to the other side of the line of scrimmage, and do that in just a second with the most recent commit just committed Tuesday, a tight end. Thought he was going to Vandy. Not so much. Let's get into it in just a second. I've got an important favor to ask of you. We at Locked On have put together a uh, survey for you so that we can learn more about listeners and viewers just like you and to help make your favorite Locked On podcast like this one even better than they already are. It's your opportunity to tell us what you like and what you don't like about Locked On podcasts. So go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It's not going to take you long and... If you do that, if you complete a survey, you're going to qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To do this, to take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com survey. Hey, thanks so much for your help. Today on Locked on Tar Heels, we are discussing the three most recent recruits to the Carolina football team, and we're switching from the defensive side of the ball now to offense. Uh, This one's fresh out the oven, Mr. Julian Randolph, a tight end from Virginia who just committed on Tuesday to the Tar Heels ahead of his official visit coming up this weekend. What's going on there, John? Yeah, I think that's what made this one so surprising. Typically, when when you lock in, first of all, typically when you decommit from one program (laughs) and then you start to look at others, you vet all of those options before coming off the board. But I guess Randolph saw enough uh, in Chapel Hill a couple weeks ago, and and he was done with the process despite having, I believe, two more official visits scheduled, including one to – you know, fellow ACC program Miami, um, which is, is hunting for tight ends under, under their new coaching staff. So I thought that was a pretty big deal to, to shut it down, make a commitment and say no thanks to visits that you had already penciled in. Those those flights were already purchased uh, by those other <laughs> programs. I think they'll be OK, but quite interesting from a timing perspective uh, for yeah. Carolina to land Julian Randolph, former uh, Vandy commit, as you mentioned, six, five, six, six. 215 or so it kind of operates as almost like a jumbo receiver more than a classic tight end but obviously he has the frame to pack on the weight and become (laughs) uh that that true modern tight end where we see him in line and we see him split out on on occasion and that's something that you know a lot of coaches obviously wanted to work with given his offer list uh, and the schools that were trying to literally get him on campus in a matter of days yeah, and I mean, we're talking about winning him over Miami here. We're, we're talking, you know, there's been a tight end or two that's come out of yeah. South Florida. Uh, yeah. I mean, what what a big deal is that to to beat out the Hurricanes for this? Oh, this is huge. This is huge. I believe Miami didn't have a tight end committed um, going into this week. Uh, so you could understand. And there's a desire to take multiple tight ends down there. So uh, I think the, the timing of those two schools in particular mm. – Uh, makes a lot of sense Um, and then Miami ended up getting a different tight end committed during this week uh, in Jackson Carver so that's kind of interesting as well you wonder how the back channels and communication was between (laughs) all of these parties to say 
okay, well, Randolph's committing there. Do we push for this kid? It's just it's a good example of of just how fluid and, and frantic sometimes recruiting can become. But look, Carolina got their guy. You have to recruit uh, that that entire you know, Eastern Seaboard if you're UNC, and obviously Virginia being a border state is is a no brainer recruiting area that you've got to be consistent within. We, we, there's a ton of great Virginians on this roster. Uh, so it is good, uh, another feather in the cap type to, to get another one on board. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you, you talk about that geographical location. I mean, it comes down to UCLA, Miami, and North Carolina. Um, how often, for those who, who <clears throat> maybe not uh, be on the inside of all these conversations, how often does that geographical closeness play into, and I, listen, I know we can't speak in generalities because every recruit's different, but sure. um, how often does that play into it? It's important. You know, I mean, there's a reason why the programs that have the best recruiting bases or are close to the best recruiting bases often win the most games, right? I mean, it's it's just a little easier to recruit when it's that much closer to home. Every recruit wants members of their family and friends to see them play in person. So logistically, it just makes a lot more sense. It's just a lot easier to, to get a lot of that stuff accomplished. So it's important, you know, beyond the, the obvious, right? A kid who just grows up like, I need to play for UNC. Like that <laughs> happens too. But even beyond that group of prospect, you do have to, you know, regionally recruit. And I do think that's why a lot of programs start uh, in that direction, because it's just a little easier to convince mom to drive over, mentor, <laughs> high school coach, whoever it is, to almost help out in the recruitment. And it does give the, the local programs more of an advantage. There's just simply more access uh, to those prospects. That's why uh, when schools outside of the South win a championship, it's it's a big deal and relatively rare in the modern era. I mean, I think what off the top of my head, Ohio State. Uh, a couple years, you know, not a couple years ago, eight years ago now, what won the yeah, national crazy. championship? Yeah. Uh, USC, almost, you know, almost twenty years ago. You know, really, those two uh, pop into my head. Everything else is it's the usual, right? It's 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 Alabama, it's Georgia, it's Clemson, it's it's you know Florida State, it's LSU in 2019. It is yeah. the same yeah. regional programs for a reason, and UNC is clo- much closer to that. Uh, than you know other programs are, so I do think that absolutely plays a factor. Yeah, yeah, and and my final question for you is: you talked about just this massive wide receiver, essentially that he is that will slot in as a tight end, and Carolina has that right now in Bryson Nesbitt, and is showing their willingness um, to put a tight end of that build and size and skill set into that type of role. Does being able to visualize himself in Bryson Nesbitt, somebody who's doing it, does that help? Uh, final, you know, I know that's not going to be everything, but does that help seal the deal sometimes? Absolutely. You know, I think relative to to Miami and UCLA in particular, look, Carolina <laughs> throws the ball more than those two. I think that box is certainly checked. Uh, and I think stylistically, the tight ends at, at the other two programs, well, at Miami, it's TBD, right? You'd have to look at, I guess, <laughs> yeah. Oregon tape there. And they, yeah. they weren't exactly yeah. prolific in the passing game under Mario Cristobal. And then with UCLA, you know, they're primary option was a tight end last year with with Greg Dorich but uh, it wasn't you know from a true versatile standpoint it was a little bit more classic in their nature Uh, and Chip Kelly wants to run the ball and then play off of that so I do think stylistically and schematically comparatively yeah absolutely seeing something similar to what you want to do 
uh, is a little bit more apparent uh, for him at UNC versus some of the other options on his list. Uh, so that absolutely plays a factor. It, it just it's another box that is that is able to be checked. Uh, and again, when you when you're on an official visit, you have so much more time to explore those kind of things. Because look, those coaches will tell you at every school, like, oh, who are you looking at? Okay, let's pull up their stuff. This is what they like to do with the tight end. This is what we do with the tight end. This is how we can maybe sell sell you on something different and show you the difference between these roles. So I, I do think that plays a factor 100%. Man, great stuff as always from John Garcia Jr. Brother, thank you for helping us uh, figure out this doubled up Carolina 2023 recruiting class. Always a pleasure, Isaac. Thanks for having me. Well, that is it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. I hope you're getting stoked for this 2023 football recruiting class. They're going to keep adding to it. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to talk about the top 25 returning basketball players uh, for this upcoming season. And guess what? There's several Tar Heels on that list. They're filling it up. Thanks so much for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen or your first watch today, just like you do every day. Please remember, if you haven't subscribed, go do it quick and easy. If you're watching on YouTube, you can just hit subscribe right there by the video and smash the like button while you're doing it so that we know who's watching it and diving in. It's super helpful. Leave a great comment about any of these three young men and why you're excited to watch them play. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels. Please make sure you go give John Garcia Jr. a follow as well and me on Twitter at Isaac Shade, is. A-A-C-S-C-H-A-D-E. Now, let me make uh, an offer to you to make Locked On NBA Mock Draft your second listen. The first picks of this Ultimate NBA Mock Draft have already been made. So search now for the Ultimate NBA Mock Draft and get over 50 insiders, the Odyssey sports experts, the draft experts of the Locked On NBA Big Board. All of those guys are coming at you. The five-episode, five-episode Ultimate NBA Mock Draft is underway now. So make Ultimate NBA Mock Draft your second listen. Thanks so much for spending part of your Thursday hanging out, talking Carolina with me. It's always fun. And remember, it's always a great day to be a target. Until tomorrow, peace. <laughs>